I'm Jerry Prokopovich at East Carolina University. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. There's no better way to immerse oneself in the era of the Civil War than to visit one of the many battlefields of that conflict. Today, some of those serene pastoral fields are still the scenes of conflict, as people argue about how or whether to develop, preserve, and interpret them. For an inside look at the battlefields today, join us and our guest, Donald C. Fons, biographer of Confederate General Richard Ewell and historian at the Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania National Military Park. We'll be back with Don Fons on Civil War Talk Radio. Computers to improve fuel efficiency and reduce emissions. Check. Acoustic and optical wayside monitors to enhance safety. Check. Robotic systems to measure track geometry. Check. GPS tracking and tracing systems. Check. Sounds like a rocket or a jet getting ready for takeoff, doesn't it? Actually, it's something just as technologically advanced. A freight train. There's a new world of technology riding the rails that makes today's freight railroads more fuel efficient, safer, and cleaner running than ever. With wireless communications, transponders, and trackside readers that can pinpoint the shipment's location at speeds of up to 80 miles an hour, North America's freight railroads are driving the technology required by today's businesses and consumers. And with everything from apples to computers moving by rail, we wouldn't have it any other way. Chances are, the things you'll use tomorrow are taking the train today. Tomorrow, arriving by train. Sponsored by North America's Freight Railroads. Mission Critical. Two words that describe the data vital to every e-commerce website. If your company needs the services of an unparalleled co-location facility, you need to remember these two words, Castle Access. With Castle Access, your Internet servers will be secure in environmentally controlled data centers that offer high-speed managed Internet access and the highest standards of 24-7 customer support. For more info, visit castleaccess.com. Castle Access. We keep you online all the time. World Talk Radio, bringing the world to you. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. With me today is Donald C. Fons, author of the standard biography of Richard S. Ewell and historian at the Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania Military Park. Good morning, Don. How are you doing? Good morning. Fine, thank you. Glad to have you on the show today. I thought we'd start by asking what got you interested, uh, whenever it was, how many years ago, in the era of the Civil War? Well, uh, I grew up in Civil War parks. Uh, my father was uh, a historian at Gettysburg National Battlefield. In fact, uh, he's still the, the foremost authority on uh, Gettysburg. And uh, so I grew up uh, as a child there and uh, uh, ran around the battlefields, uh, um, grew to love the place, and uh, that kind of got me interested in history. Uh, for a while, I kind of veered off into uh, colonial history uh, more uh, during my school years. But then after college, I got a job at Fredericksburg and Spotsylvania National Military Park, and from that point on, I've been directing my energies more toward the Civil War. So your your father uh, is Harry Fons, a historian, is that right? That's correct. Uh, we we talked with, uh, a few weeks ago on the show, we talked with Jeff Shera, who, of course, is the son of uh, Michael Shera, uh, author of The Killer Angels. 
and I asked him what uh, what he I asked him about his father's work. Can I ask you the same question? Sure. Uh, he uh, well, your father, of course, is famous for for those. Very big books on Gettysburg, the big orange books, which I recall. <laughs> the first one is the big orange one, yeah. That I, I vividly remember seeing that in a bookstore in Boston. It must have been in the uh, early 90s, late 80s, perhaps. Yeah, uh, when, when it came, it came out. out. I'm sorry? That, that's, that's roughly when it came out, yeah. And just thinking, wow, this is, this is what I've been looking for. Now I will really know what is going on at Gettysburg. This is a level of detail that no one has really attempted ever before. But I, I will frankly say that after I read it, I thought, okay, I know enough about it now. <laughs> um, it, it, it really is a micro-history. And w- what are your thoughts on that style? Well, it depends on, uh, again, who you're writing for. Obviously, if you're uh, somebody who has this kind of a uh, either a beginner in the Civil War or, or somebody who's uh, who has just a very mild interest, uh, you don't want to pick up a book like those written by my father because they're they're written to be the last word to uh, to get, get into the all the details of a battle, and some people are, are looking exactly for that. They want to know exa- you know everything there is to know about a certain little phase of the fighting, and so for them those books are a goldmine. Uh, for your your more uh, average tourist, uh, they would probably want to stick to something uh, uh, much shorter and with much less detail. That I, I wonder, there certainly is an audience for those uh, that that style of history, and and I'm not saying this to denigrate it at all. I, I very much enjoyed reading that. Uh, I, I simply concluded I couldn't master that level of detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now there there are others who have followed in those footsteps. Uh, there's a book I understand on the Battle of Mill Springs, for example, in, in Kentucky, 1862, that uh, tops 500 pages. Mm-hmm. in presenting that same kind of detail. And while I don't think it's hard to justify such a book on Gettysburg, I do wonder if uh, if we aren't reaching a point of diminishing returns in spending 500 pages on Mill Springs. Yeah. Well, again, it just depends on each individual reader. Uh, again, I think most most people who visit a Civil War park, for instance, uh, know only, only a, you know, a, a limited amount about the battle, and for them, uh, something much more general would be more than sufficient. Uh, but again, there are those handful of people who, uh, for whatever reasons, have extreme interest in the details of battles, and for them, uh, a detailed book on either Gettysburg or Mill Spring, uh, again, is exactly what they're looking for. It's not a large audience, but, uh, but they uh, are out there, and it's nice to have books for people like that. Oh, that's true, and... and uh... Uh, I suppose the the audience size declines with the the relative fame of the battle, but mm-hmm. even there, uh, it, it is interesting to see that that the interest does exist for even some of the more obscure events. Right. Now, you yourself have written books. Uh, you've written a biography of, of Richard Ewell, one of Lee's corps commanders, of course, in the Army of Northern Virginia. Uh, what brought you to that subject? Actually, I got uh, interested in General Yule back in the, I guess it was early 80s, uh, when uh, there was a symposium being given up in the Shenandoah Valley on the 1862 Shenandoah Valley campaign, and I was asked to give a a talk on one of the leaders, and uh, so ultimately I chose General Yule, who I quickly discovered didn't really have any good books written about him, and uh, so I decided to take the notes I'd written from my uh, talk and uh, write a booklet, and uh as I did more research, the booklet became a book, and uh, as I did more research beyond that, the uh, 
book became a big book. So now I've got a, a big fat book like my father's. And uh, uh, but a fascinating one, certainly. Uh, that's not to say your father's book is not fascinating uh, uh, either by any means. Uh, but it, you all has apparently been underserved by uh, historians uh, before you. Why do you suppose that is? You know, I'm not really really sure, except that he, um, of course, he didn't have the success that Jackson or Lee or or, or Stewart did, and didn't have uh, quite that dashing uh, aura of a, of a Stewart. Um, but I am myself somewhat perplexed as to why he's gotten so little um, press over the years. Uh, when you consider people like Longstreet, um, uh, even A.P. Hill, uh, of course Lee Jackson Stewart, Jubal Early, even all, all those people have gotten a fair amount of, of um, uh, publicity. Uh, for instance, if you look at the at, at the, the prints that are out there today, of course, there's a lot of artists doing Civil War prints. And you look around and almost, you know, when they focus on an individual Confederate leader here in the East, it's almost always Robert E. Lee or Stonewall Jackson or occasionally Jeb Stewart. Uh, once in a blue moon, you get a Jubal Early uh, or John Gordon, for instance. But uh, but uh, I think Ewell is featured, as far as I know, in only one modern painting out of the hundreds and hundreds that have been done. And in that case, he's a figure in the background. And Jubal Early is the, uh, is the primary figure, uh, or John Gordon. So... Uh, so it's quite interesting that Yule's always kind of taken a back seat, and I'm not 100% sure why, because there's plenty of source material on him. He was uh, one of the most important Confederate leaders, served during the entire war, with the exception of the period when he was out injured. And he's a very fascinating character. He's uh, quite amusing uh, and interesting to read about. So I, I don't really know, but I, I saw the void there, and I thought I'd try to fill it. Now the, the voids in Civil War writing are, are harder and harder to find, and this really is a remarkable one. I think you pointed out there are, Lee had seven commanders at the core level through the war, and uh, five of them we have tons of books on, and Ewell and Richard Anderson we have so little on. And Anderson is maybe justly a bit more obscure, but Ewell was at Gettysburg, Ewell was in the Valley, Ewell did all these things, and we don't hear much about him. Yeah, he was very closely associated not only with Lee, but of course with Jackson, and uh, you think just the reflected light from those two uh Two gentlemen would uh, cause him to stand out a little bit more, but uh, again, for whatever reason, he uh, he's kind of gotten uh, short shrift. Though that I have to quickly add that that's changing. There are, uh, in addition to, to the book that I wrote uh, in the last uh, oh ten fifteen years, uh, a couple other biographies have come out as well. So uh, uh, so he is starting to get a little bit more attention. You suggested he's he's an interesting character. Uh, but not, it's not just that he's important, but but he's worth writing about. What the what sort of things stand out to you uh, about Ewell that, that, that make him such an interesting character? Well, he, of course, his primary interest is, is what he did during the Civil War. But in addition to that, he uh, he was he was at West Point. So if you're interested in in the U.S. Military Academy uh, and uh, everything that went on there, uh, he has some interest in that regard. He also had a, a much longer career um, out uh, uh, on the Western Frontier and also served in Mexico. So. He, he kind of gets into all these different um, different events that are taking place uh, in the mid-19th century. And uh, so he's interesting in terms of what he's doing and where he's at. But he's also just, a, I think, a very interesting uh, personality. He's got kind of a, a, ver a very quirky personality. Uh, Yule's uh, uh, ancestors had, um, had intermarried, and uh, as a result, uh, the Yule family uh, uh, was a little bit eccentric in their own ways, uh, and Dick certainly reflected that. And uh, he uh, had a lot, a lot of very interesting 
traits, but he also had some very quirky personality traits, which are played up uh, perhaps too much even by Douglas Southall Freeman in his uh, book, Lee's Lieutenants. He, he talks about Yule's quirky personality traits and how he uh, how he looked like a big ungainly bird uh, and uh, would uh, would lisp out these uh, kind of peculiar uh, uh, humorous uh, uh, quips and things. Uh, but but he's a very intelligent, very uh, very humorous, uh, very down to earth sort of fellow. And and I found found reading about him, I just, you know found that uh, he was just fun to read about. Well, I, I must admit that Freeman's word picture uh, has stuck in my mind—a picture of this, this bald fellow with a large beak-like uh, nose, sort of bird appearance, uh, doing or saying slightly eccentric things. And it, it, I think in Freeman's era, Bruce Catton, to some extent, also used to characterize their characters by one or two phrases. Catton would especially do that uh, to keep the reminder, uh, keep the reader reminded who who he was talking about. But when you characterize somebody by one or two words, you certainly miss the the full picture of them. And, and you're suggesting Ewell was more than just an eccentric, uh, amusing fellow. Exactly. Uh... For free, nothing that Freeman says about Yule, um, as far as his eccentricities, is really wrong. Uh, the problem is that if you just focus on the person's eccentricity, sometimes you can forget that there was a lot more to the person than, than simply that. And what I think is often lost in, um, in Freeman's books and in some of the other things written about Yule is that Yule is an officer uh, who was very capable, uh, had had long service uh, in the West, uh, commanding uh, different posts out there. Uh, he, for instance, uh, had had um, um, dealings with Cochise uh, and um, and uh, Kit Carson and people like that. Uh, he was very highly respected uh, in the army amongst the people who who knew him, and actually did an extremely good job uh, almost everywhere he went. And all that tends to get obscured, A, by his eccentricities, and also B, by the, the, the really, you know, unfortunately, one, one episode, and that episode that kind of is pinned on Yule and people remember by is Gettysburg. And, of course, he fought in dozens of battles, uh, Gettysburg just being one, and, uh, and unfortunately he's remembered just for that one day at that one battle. Well, that, that uh, anticipates where I was going to ask you uh, next, what I was going to ask you next, which is what, uh, what happened at, at Gettysburg. He is... Remember, as you say, for his performance, especially on the first day there when the Confederate forces come in on the, the flank of the Union Army, and he, I would say fortuitously, has his, his divisions arriving at just the right moment mm -hmm. and fails. Well, well, you tell the story. What happens there? Well, as you said, the, the, the meeting at Gettysburg was unexpected by both sides. Uh, A.P. Hill's uh, Confederate Corps uh, was heading to the town and clashed there with, uh, with Union Cavalry, and uh, at the same time, you have the first elements of uh, of the Army of the Potomac's infantry coming up to support them. The first corps, followed by the Eleventh Corps, and uh, as that battle is taking place between Hill and and that portion of the Union Army, Yule arrives on the scene, fortuitously right on the flank of the uh, of the troops that are facing Hill, and at that point, Yule uh, uh, himself becomes engaged and uh, and uh, in some. Uh, Various attacks. Essentially, he and Hill drive the Federals back through the town of Gettysburg in entire disarray. Uh, the Federals uh, begin to take um, to rally on some hills south of town, uh, particularly on Cemetery Hill. And at that point, uh, that's the kind of the critical point in Yule's career because the Confederates had the momentum going, 
and uh, historians, you know, looking back, and even people at the time, for that matter, uh, felt that uh, if the Confederates had just pushed ahead, specifically Ewell had pushed ahead, uh, they could have taken Cemetery Hill, and there would have never been a Battle of Gettysburg, and the South might have gone on to win the war. That's kind of the, the theory. And unfortunately, it's a, it's a very um, pat theory, uh, but it ignores uh, kind of the realities that on the battlefield that day. Uh, it's true that the Federals were routed and falling back, uh, and the Confederates did have momentum. That much is true. What it tends to ignore is the strength of the Federal position, and the difficulties that Ewell was facing within his own corps. Uh, the federal had, Federals had a very strong position, as anybody who goes to Cemetery Hill will recognize. Uh, they had 40 cannons, a massive amount of cannons, up uh, on that hill. Uh, they had cleared fields of fire so the cannons could mow down anything that was coming at them. They didn't have a huge amount of infantry support, but they had at least one intact infantry brigade there. and. You take that together with the fragments of the other brigades that are now rallying up on that hill, you may have had as many as, uh, as 10, 12,000 Federals uh, there protected by stone walls. Uh, so you have these open fields, stone walls, so you have the Union infantry who can protect themselves behind the walls, the Union artillery who can fire from the hill. And, uh, and then to attack that, you have Ewell. Now, his troops had already marched a great deal that day. Uh, he had three divisions, one of which had taken heavy casualties. And the other division had uh, only three-quarters of its troops at hand and was burdened with uh, about 5,000 prisoners. So when you start... And, and the third division wasn't even there yet. The third division wasn't even up yet. So, uh, so Ewell, when you start looking at what Ewell actually had to attack that extremely formidable hill, he has perhaps 5,000 effective troops to attack a hill uh, that's extremely strong that has 40 cannon and maybe ten to 12,000 troops defending it. And it's easy to look back and say, well, you know, they were riding the crest of success. They should have gone forward. But had he done so, I think uh, most serious students of Gettysburg today agree that it would have been a massacre. Uh, they would have simply, you know, lost the momentum real quickly and, and, and the cost of several thousand casualties. So it would have been Malvern Hill all over again. Exactly. Exactly. Except maybe even worse. Only worse. Yeah, because you're talking with, again, just a part of your of your army. But uh, And then there are other, other uh, things as well which people don't give much weight to and that is uh, I'm, I'm just going to interrupt you there because we need to take a break but we're going to come back and talk more about Yule at Gettysburg and about Civil War battlefields in general we'll do that when we come back on Civil War Talk Radio <laughs> 